This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 26, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. 2011 was supposed to be the big year for educational freedom. As it happens, 2015 turned out to be as good a year or better. Jason Bedrick, policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom, runs down the state-level wins for school choice in 2015. 2011 was celebrated as a year of school choice, and you make the case that uh, 2015 was better. So on on what metrics was 2015 better than 2011? Right. Well, when the Wall Street Journal declared 2011 the year of school choice, there were 13 um, new or expanded programs, uh, educational choice programs uh, around the country. This year, there were 15 states that adopted 21 new or expanded educational choice programs. Uh, so, I mean, this is the biggest year yet for educational choice. All right. So let's walk through some of the details here. What were some states that had some notable changes in uh, educational freedom? Yeah. I mean, I guess some of the biggest or the biggest would be Nevada, which uh, enacted the first universal education savings account. Uh, so we've been talking for a while now about moving from school choice to educational choice. Uh, the education doesn't just take place in the four walls of a traditional classroom. Uh, and education savings accounts recognize that. They empower families to spend their education dollars on a wide variety of products and services, including tutors, textbooks, homeschool curricula, um, online learning. They could even save it uh, for later to go to college. Uh, so Nevada has the first – Arizona a few years ago adopted an ESA. They were the first ones, but it was limited at the time to students with special needs. Uh, Nevada has the first one that is almost universal. Uh, anybody that had previously attended a public school uh, it qualifies to receive an ESA. All right. What are, what are some others? Uh, so we also uh, saw uh, ESAs uh, in uh, Tennessee and Mississippi, uh, both of them for students with special needs. Uh, and then a number of states adopted uh, tax credit scholarships, uh, including Montana, Nevada. Uh, South Carolina has a, a refundable tax credit scholarship that sort of blurs the line between the tax credits, which uh, traditionally are just private uh, donations, uh, and they have a, a refundable program. So um, in, in government, refundable often means getting back money that you didn't pay in. So what they're calling in South Carolina a, a tuition tax credit actually operates more like a voucher. Um, but uh, a number of states as well expanded their existing programs. Uh, Arizona, Florida, Indiana, uh, Louisiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, um, Oh, and Alabama all expanded uh, their existing school choice and educational choice programs. Okay, so uh, in 2016, then what are we what are we looking at in terms of expanding educational freedom there? Yeah, so it's it's not clear, you know, what states are going to adopt anything. There there was a major push last year in New York for an education, um, sorry, for a scholarship tax credit, which failed, but uh, Cardinal Dolan, uh, the Catholics were very uh, very much behind that effort. And Cardinal Dolan just said that they would be pushing for it again this year. Uh, likewise, in uh, Illinois, I think those are the two big blue states where we might see some action. Uh, but then there are, another, uh, there are several red states where I think it's actually even more likely. Uh, Georgia is likely to expand their tax credit program. Uh, Virginia had an ESA bill last year that very narrowly failed. And 
Um, Delegate Dave LaRock is going to be bringing that back this year. Uh, And perhaps the most exciting, I would say, is Missouri, where Senator Ed Emery is filing the first tax credit education savings account. Uh, So what makes that different from the education savings accounts in Nevada and Arizona and Florida and elsewhere is that instead of funding it through the public treasury, it will be funded like the scholarship tax credit programs that operate uh, in more than a dozen states around the country, where uh, donors to a nonprofit scholarship organization will receive a tax credit for their donations, and then that nonprofit organization will fund uh, education savings accounts for. I believe they're starting with uh, students with special needs. Okay, so that's different from some previous programs. Yeah, so it sort of it, it blends the two ideas of the scholarship tax credit and the education savings account, and it has the benefits of both. Uh, it has the flexibility of an education savings account uh, where parents can use it for a wide variety of uh, educational goods and services, uh, but it also has the advantages of a tax credit. Uh, so the tax credit, uh, t- the tax credits tend to be uh, less regulated, more lightly regulated programs than vouchers, which are publicly funded, uh, and they have a perfect record uh, of withstanding constitutional challenges, whereas vouchers. Uh, have a mixed record. Um, And then there's the issue of coercion, right? I mean, everybody is forced to pay taxes for the public schools, whether you like what's being taught there or not. Uh, There are those who object to vouchers because they don't don't like what's being taught in certain, let's say, religious schools or or whatnot. Uh, With the tax credit program, nobody is coerced to donating to these organizations uh, those who want to can those who don't want to don't have to and so it's really uh, a matter of individual liberty as well so uh, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that the Obama administration has faced two defeats relevant to educational freedom what were those yeah so uh, they had been engaged in a lawsuit in Louisiana against the state's voucher program for a few years now uh, and the essentially they were they had modified a forty year old uh, desegregation lawsuit uh, which concerned the public school system and were trying to use it as a weapon uh, to to attack or at the very least um, to regulate the voucher program that they had in Louisiana. Uh, and they made uh, just absolutely ludicrous claims about the, the impact on uh, segregation. Uh, they, they were worried that uh, the program would, would lead to schools that were more segregated than they already are. Uh, but then two reports, uh, two different studies, one through the Department of Education uh, and one through a, a university, uh, found that actually the voucher program was leading to greater integration, not segregation, uh, because the vast majority, about about 90% of the voucher recipients uh, were African-American students. Uh, and they were now able to go to the schools that until then had you know, only, uh, for the most part, only families that were white were able to afford to go to. Um, uh, so they were able to go to more integrated schools. Uh, so it actually improved integration. Uh, the Department of Justice backpedaled a little bit 
um, after those reports came out, but but still proceeded with their lawsuit uh, until uh, Judge Edith Jones of the Fifth Circuit uh, really slammed the department, uh, called them disingenuous uh, in the opinion uh, that she issued, uh, saying that they were purporting to seek information and enforce desegregation rules, but actually they were really imposing a, quote, a vast intrusive reporting regime on the state without any finding of unconstitutional conduct, and uh, that the process was burdensome, costly, and endless. And so she put an end to that. Now, there is one... uh Related to Louisiana, um, there was a National Bureau of Economic Research did a random assignment study to uh, related to uh, school the school voucher program there, and they found that it had a negative result on student performance. Yeah, so this is actually the first random assignment study. I mean, and those are the um, those are the gold standard. Uh, it's sort of like you, the type that are used in medical research, right? Uh, so this is the first random assignment study ever to find a negative effect from school choice. Uh, there have been a dozen previous studies, uh, all but one found generally modest but positive statistically significant impacts uh, on participants. Uh, there was one that found no statistically significant impact. Uh, until now, none had found harm. Uh, and so, of course, the question there is, well, what makes Louisiana so different? Uh, so we can't say what that is conclusively without further research. Uh, but uh, for a long time, uh, there have been a, a number of uh, school choice advocates, myself included, who have raised concerns about Louisiana because it is the most over-regulated program in the country. Uh, there's no price mechanism. Uh, schools that accept vouchers must accept uh, the value of the voucher and cannot charge more than that. Uh, they have to administer the state test. Uh, they cannot have their own uh, admissions criteria. They have to accept basically any student that comes. If there's oversubscription, they have to hold a lottery. Uh, you know, there's uh, each of these regulations that they imposed, you know, there, there's a, a good reason uh, for it, you know, at least from a certain point of view, you know, in terms of, of equity, you know, making sure that uh, poor people have a, a school that they can go to. The problem is that it appears that these regulations may have had the opposite effect of what was intended. Uh, Two thirds of private schools in Louisiana opted not to accept voucher students. Uh, that is much uh, higher than in any other state. Um, in most states, uh, you've got uh, half or more. I mean, in Arizona, uh, with, which has a scholarship tax credit program, uh, nearly every school in the state uh, accepts um, tax credit scholarship students. Uh, in Florida, it's, uh, it's about you know, two thirds. Uh, in Indiana, it's about half. So only one third of the schools in Louisiana were accepting them. And we have some evidence that suggests that those may have been the lower performing schools, right? Uh, the, the study found that the schools that chose not to accept voucher students had uh, steady or slightly increasing enrollment uh, before the program went into effect. Uh, whereas the voucher schools or the voucher accepting schools uh, tended to have declining enrollment, about 13% decline on average. 
Uh, so what we're looking at here are the schools that were the most desperate, were the most likely to to say, you know what, we'll take these vouchers because we need the money and we'll accept all these regulations. Whereas other schools that were doing just fine said, you know, we're not going to take this money if it's going to come with all of these strings attached. Uh, so this is uh, certainly uh, food for thought for uh, education uh policymakers around the country. Uh, it's something that they should consider when, when designing programs in their own state and something that uh, Louisiana policymakers should be thinking very deeply about uh, to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it. Jason Bendrick is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to this and other Cato podcasts at our website and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>